0: Hi, my name is Caroline, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Journey podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that, by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. Today I'm going to continue in our series that we're doing for Advent, Awaiting the Dawn. Today specifically I want to focus in on this idea of hope, talk about what we do when we're waiting for hope. Now to get to that idea, let's begin by talking about something that I read about this week that that they do in Japan. Along the cliff sides, along the mountainsides, around the uh, island on the coast, there are stone markers placed throughout the entire island. Some of those markers are as much as 600 years old, and each one has a very specific purpose. It is an engraved warning that anything below that marker is subject to be washed away by a tsunami. So, the marker is there to say, don't build below this, you can build above it, but we know that the water comes this high. Those warnings have been there, like I said, for many, many years, hundreds of years in some instances. However, as time has gone on, Japan has decided that because of their technology, because of their understanding of the ocean and its tides, that, and the seawalls they built, all that kind of stuff, that they can build below those stone markers, and that's exactly what they did. Until 2011, when a tsunami hit the island and at least 1,600 people died, estimates are much higher than that for folks they can't even find. The waters, The earthquake happened, the water swept in, just took everything away. Tsunamis, like other powerful natural phenomenon that we know, hurricanes and tornadoes, remind us that the world we live in is just marked by chaos. Chaos that we can't explain, chaos that we can't understand. We know sometimes the world's going to be destroyed, but we don't know when it's coming or how it's coming or what, what's going to happen next. And... That's just the natural phenomenon. There are also things like the unemployment letter you didn't expect to get, or the bad diagnosis, or the end of the marriage that you thought was fine, or the unexpected death of a loved one. Those are the tsunamis that life hits us with that aren't natural, but seem to come at all times and when we least expect it. Truth is, all of us at some point, whether you want to or not, are going to recognize how chaotic this world is. It is unpredictable. And all of us are susceptible to the coming and going of this life. In fact, the older I get, the more I realize how little control I actually have. So the question I want us to address this morning is, given that reality, given the reality that chaos is everywhere and it's always coming, Where can we find hope? Where do we have hope? Is there hope to be had? How can we find that hope and cling to it? To access that idea, I was reminded as I was preparing this of uh, some of the overnight drives that I've done in my life. You ever done one of these drives where you have to drive through the night to get from A to B for whatever reason? Night driving is tough, isn't it? It's really hard. And the worst time of night driving, always, is between 2 and 5 a.m. For sure, for sure, between 2 and 5 a.m. Because it's during that time, especially as you get close to 5, that you begin just to long for the dawn to come. You just want it so desperately because you want, just if you know if dawn comes, if you have normal natural light, everything will be better. You'll wake back up. You're that much closer. And periodically, as you're driving, you get tricked, don't you? I do, at least, by some light on the horizon. And I think, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe this is dawn. And instead, it's some city with its lights turned bright on the horizon. And I think, crud. I have so far to go. We long for this light to come because we know that it will get us through the night. That will be our fuel, hope, hope. That dawn is coming, gets us through. So again, where does that hope come from? How do we find that hope? How do we cling to that hope? The first point I want to make today that I want to remind you of, I think you know this, but I want you to hear it yet again is, hope is found in nothing in this world. Hope is found in nothing in this world. And you don't need to look any farther than our gospel reading today, Matthew chapter 3, where John the Baptist is in the wilderness, and he says to those gathered Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. He's literally yelling it to the crowd who's assembled. And in that crowd, we read that there are Pharisees and Sadducees. They've come, it says, to be baptized, but is that all why they're there? There's more, actually. They've come because they hope that John the Baptist is bringing something different. But, in fact, the hope that they are having... Is not in God. The hope that they are bringing is in regime change. The hope that they have is not in the Lord's power, but in their own ability to change the political structure in which they live. This would be very much the same kind of hope that maybe Republicans bring to change and drive out all Democrats, or Democrats bring to drive them all out, all the Republicans out of Congress. That's the kind of hope that the Pharisees and Sadducees have brought to John the Baptist again, and he knows He knows the hope that they have. He knows it's not in the Lord or in God's ability to care for them. He knows that their hope is in their own cunning and in their own guile, their own ability to work the system. And so he calls them out. He exposes them, and I love it. He calls them out, and he tells them that God will not be fooled by your actions. Just because you do the right thing doesn't mean that God doesn't know where your heart really is. And he tells them that the only hope they can have is in God alone. God is the only one who can bring order out of chaos, is what he's telling them. Make straight that path. In uh, in 1850, there was a ship captain named John Riley. Riley was uh, the captain of a commercial vessel that sailed out of Connecticut. The ship was called the Commerce, and it was the fastest... The most able, equipped, and the strongest of the ships in the American commerce fleet. That's why they called it the commerce. He was a very experienced sea captain. He had been on the seas since he was between 12 and 15 years old. He knew the world's oceans really well. He had been sailing for so long. On this one voyage, they leave Connecticut to sail across the ocean. And as they get to Africa, their ship is surrounded in a deep and dark fog. And that night in the fog, the commerce shipwrecks, breaks apart, comes up, well, lands on a sandbar off the coast of Africa. When they get up in the morning and they can see the damage is done, they know that they are in a bad spot. On the shore, which isn't too far away, they can see some violent savages who they know are in fact cannibals. And they're already picking through the flotsam and jetsam that is washed on shore. So they only have one option, to get in their last remaining lifeboat and roll back out to sea. But the problem is, behind them are these breakers that keep coming in, and they're about 20 feet tall. And they know that their little lifeboat is gonna not make it through those breakers. But they don't see any other choice. So they gather the supplies they can left from their ship, they put them in the lifeboat, and they begin to row towards those breakers. Now, Riley wasn't a religious man at all. In fact, he had said that he did not believe that God was actively involved in the affairs of the world. So it is a surprise then as they get close to those breakers that Riley decided to pray a prayer. And this is the prayer that he offered up. Greater God, preserver of the universe, who now sees us in our distress. We pray thee to spare our lives and permit us to pass through the overwhelming surf of the open sea. But if we are doomed to perish, thy will be done. We commit our souls to the mercy of thee, O God, who gave them. And it's recorded that almost as he ends that prayer, there is suddenly a 20-foot gap in the breakers as they're coming in, a gap that wasn't there before, and they're able to push their lifeboat out through the tide And make it out to sea. He later wrote, I cannot suppress or deny what so clearly appeared to me and my companions as the immediate and merciful act of the Almighty. Listening to our prayers, granting our petitions at that awful moment when despair, despair, dismay, and death were closing in upon us. My heart still grows holy. Holy with gratitude for his mercy, and I will never be ashamed nor afraid to acknowledge and make known to the world the infinite goodness of my divine creator and preserver. Riley, in that moment, found hope. Hope in the only one who could give it, God. Instead, today, I think we're so often tempted to find hope in many, many other things. Our experiences, our expertise, our technology, our early warning systems, and our wealth. And yet, not in any of those things is there protection. None. Because at any moment, the world can sweep in and just take it all away. Hope is to be found in God alone. The Scriptures have a lot to say about this. Throughout the Bible... There are story after story after story of God protecting and preserving his people. Think about stories like Moses and the Exodus as they left Egypt. Throughout the Psalms, we see that again and again, God protecting and caring for his people. The prophets testified to the same thing, that our only hope is in God alone, which is comforting, and yet it would be wrong of me not to talk about those times when it doesn't seem like God is hearing us. There are those moments where we cry out to God to, live, to deliver us from chaos like Riley did, and it happens. But there are also those times when we cry out to God to deliver us from that same chaos, and he doesn't seem to answer us. He doesn't deliver us like we want. So what do we do then? And to that question, I want to remind you that biblical hope, is the fact that God can deliver us from the darkness. But whether he does or he doesn't, he is with us in that darkness. That's what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is recognizing that no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult the situation is, God is present with you right then. To which we might say, well, then God, if you're here right now, just fix it. Right? Make it better. But look what Isaiah says. This is our second reading today. The wolf shall live with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. The child and the ch- and a child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the whole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand over on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How can any of that be? If not for God being with us in those difficult times. How can any of that be true if God is not actually present in those moments? Because all of those events don't make sense unless God is right there with us. When James Riley was able to break through those breakers and get to the other side, they had a couple days' worth of supplies. They were looking to find another place to land or another ship to pick them up. They found neither. They just kept sailing, looking for some place to come in, but all along the shoreline, they could see the natives tracking with them, and they couldn't find another ship to pick them up. So eventually, they ran out of food and they sailed ashore, and sure enough, the natives caught them right away, stripped them naked, bound them, threw them on some camels, and took them into the North African desert as slaves. Eventually, they were sold as slaves, one from one person slave trader to another. And they spent the next year in North Africa being treated cruelly and poorly, Hard labor, beaten regularly. When Riley had landed on shore, his weight was 240. By the end of that first year of slavery, he weighed 90 pounds. In his journal, he wrote, I'm never going to get home. I'm never going to see my wife or my children. I'm never going to see Connecticut again. Because he knew that he wasn't going to. He knew he was going to die. As they traveled through the Sahara Desert, he would share his story with whoever came to him. And one time there was a, another man in, who had become a slave with him. Actually, this guy was Muslim. And he shared his story about how he'd been saved from the shipwreck. And it was remarkable, actually, that this Muslim guy said to him, How dare you distrust the power of God who has preserved you for so long? No, my friend, The God of heaven and earth is on your side and he will not forsake you. Isn't that amazing? That a guy of another faith would encourage Riley in his faith in Jesus. The deep biblical truth here is this. God has not forsaken you. He will not forsake you. He is on our side. And he will travel with us through that dark night all the way to the dawn. And so that even if that chaos, even if that darkness seems so overwhelming, you can't give up hope because God has not abandoned us. And Riley didn't give up hope. He stuck on. He kept believing. And so when you have reasons to give up hope, when hope doesn't seem to be an obvious answer anymore, it's immediately in those times that I want you to yet again recognize that the chaos isn't winning, but God is present with you. He is right there in the heart of that dark place, wherever it is. He has not abandoned you, and you don't have to be afraid. So we've explored the the, the first two things I want you to know, and that is our hope is not in anything here but in God alone, and second, that just because you're in the darkness, darkness doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. So let's close here with the words from Paul in Romans 15, where Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love this. I love this. That despite all the chaos, despite all the terrible things that are going on in our world that you see on your phone or on the news, on your televisions, you can abound in hope that the day is coming when all of that chaos will be taken up and redeemed and made into goodness. All that evil, all the tsunamis, all the hurricanes, all the brokenness and the plagues, all the hurt that we see in the world will someday be taken by God and turned to good through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's reminding us in Romans 15. So my question to you is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is interested in redeeming all those things, or do you just think that he's here to take you off that sinking ship that you're on, sparing your life maybe, but maybe not. At least you have the sweet by-and-by called heaven. Or can God actually take evil and redeem it and transform it into good right now? Back in 1816, James Riley was eventually redeemed. That is, he was eventually purchased by an Englishman named William Wilshire. He was bought for $920 and two shotguns. When the guy bought him, he let him go back to Connecticut, where he was reunited with his wife and his children, the same family he never thought he'd see again. And when he got home, he decided to write a book about his experiences. It's called Suffering in Africa. You can still get it. What's amazing is that from Riley's captivity in Africa, something incredible came. God ended up taking this terrible, terrible experience and bringing good from it. Because here's what happened. Riley came back to the U.S. And he looked around the states and he realized that the way in which we were treating people, specifically African Americans, specifically the Institute of Slavery, was entirely wrong. And so he, as a white American, decided that he needed to write a book that other white Americans could read and understand, that they could see slavery from his white eyes so that black folks in America could be free, and that's exactly what he did. He he worked for the remainder of his days in the United States to bring about the abolition of slavery. In 1817, his book became a national bestseller for the first time ever. White Americans were seeing what slavery looked like from their perspective, and it transformed many attitudes, many opinions of Americans about slavery, specifically one guy, a young lawyer in Illinois, who picked up his book and read it. His name, of course, was Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln says that apart from the Bible, Riley's book was the thing that changed his opinion about slavery more than anything else. And so, when Lincoln had his opportunity to end it, he credits Riley with giving him the courage to do it. So, does God bring order out of our chaos? Does he bring beauty from the ashes that we sometimes live in? Does he take the evil that has been done in our lives or that we've experienced, the pain and the heartache that sometimes seems like an endless trajectory, does he take any of those things And make them good. Yes. That's why we're here today. And that is what we have hope in. So I want to just close with this, that I want you to take a moment and consider the chaos of your life right now, whatever that is. Everybody has different levels of chaos. I want you to think about whatever area of your life right now that feels out of control. And then ask, have you given up on hope in those areas? Are you putting your trust in God first or are you trusting in something in the world here today, some system like the Pharisees were believing in Do you feel the absence of God in your life? Do you feel like he's abandoned you? Do you need to be reminded that he's with you in that dark place? And above all, perhaps, do you need to be reminded, do you need to have your vision lifted above your circumstance to recognize that one day Whatever it is that's going on right now will be completely redeemed and made whole by him. Can he take your difficult situation and make something world-changing with it? That's hope. That's what God wants to do with you today. So let me pray for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us the capacity to have hope. Forgive us for the times that we've given up, that we've trusted ourselves, that we've quit quit believing that you're with us in those places. And I pray that whoever's here today who's in that dark night, who doesn't yet see the dawn, I pray that they would be filled with your hope, recognizing that you're, you're here, you're with them, and that you have much to say and do. And I pray, God, that as that happens their world would be changed. I pray for those right now who have excess hope, that they could share it with others. Give hope to one another, the hope that comes only from you. Because without it, we're doomed. But because of it, we know that all things work together for the good. Yes, this in your son. Amen. Thanks again for listening find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, our website, graceocala.org, or of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.